I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Online podcast. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. We. <laughs> Hope you guys are okay with that. Uh, reason we in this animalistic introduction today is because we chatted about the birds and the bees with Miss Sherry Winston from a Women's Anatomy Arousal. She also wrote Seculent Sucks Craft, Sucks Craft, Sex Craft, uh, making me blush. And uh, had a fantastic chat in this conversation. Preface with uh, if you're in the tr- in the car with your children's and your progressive parent, I say crank it up. And uh, if you are in more of like the normal standard American parenthood realm, might want to think about earmuffs. We got into steps to create female ejaculation. We got into how to be multiply orgasmic, and we got into steps to prime a woman before penetration. Women have an erectile network. They have a network of structures that are all made out of erectile tissue. During your next orgasm, keep breathing, making some sound, and pumping your pelvic floor muscles. You'll double your orgasm right there. Fantastic discussion today. By the way, my name is Aaron Alexander, and this is the Lime Podcast. And uh, be sure to subscribe, share, uh, leave comments on iTunes. So, so helpful for transmitting these valuable, valuable messages to the world. And check out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you'll find the blog. You'll find hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement. You will find courses, online coaching, the self-care kit to help your tissue be healthy and strong for the rest of your life if you use it. Here we go. Fantastic discussion. Learning all about sex craft. Sherry Winston. Pow. Podcast. So, Sherry Winston, thank you so much for coming on today. I uh, just finished up your book, Women's Anatomy of Arousal, and I had a fantastic time reading it. Um, I wanted to chat with you today about several things, many of which are quite selfish. Um, I think the world needs to get out of this taboo culture around talking about sexuality and uh, hopefully we can get into that today. One of the quotes that I picked up out of your book that I thought was quite interesting There's a fellow named Henry Miller, and it goes like this. Our own physical body possess a wisdom which we who inhabit the body lack. And I think that it is so poignant for us to step aside, shut up, and listen to our bodies. Because, you know, predominantly we are run by our subconscious mind, and then we have this little frontal cortex, you know, this little conscious mind that gets in the way of, of a lot of things. You know, I think sexuality is a fantastic opportunity to really block all of that consciousness out and just get into how we're feeling at a deeper level. And then it's taboo. You know, so I'm curious from your perspective, how did it get that way? And what can we do to clear that up? Okay, where to start? Where we go? Here we go. Well, let's start with the fact that while we are animals, um, we can forget that we are, we are animals. So for us, our sexuality has got a component to it that's natural, innate, um, and it's it's not that different from, from tigers. Mm. However, because we're human animals, we also have an enormous component of our sexuality that's learned, that's that's cultural and environmental. And so for us, our sexuality gets really complicated because we get uh, confused by many of the things we've learned, including things like sex is shameful, the body is shameful, genitals are yucky, uh, and all of these messages that we've absorbed, you know, like um, we're, we're sponges. We've been absorbing these messages our whole lives. And so for us, our sexuality um, the, the gift is that the, the software, the learning part of our sexuality can be reprogrammed. We can 
um, get rid of the buggy old software and import new programming that can help us have really amazing, ecstatic, erotic experiences. It's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to do, but we can do it. Uh, and at the same time, we can also really learn by connecting to that animal template and connecting to that ancient wisdom that's within all of us. So we have this amazing potential yeah. if we learn how to use it. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned tiger, you know, because I think that everyone, no matter how you know non-tiger they are, we all like to think that it's like, I don't need any advice. I don't need to read a book on sexuality. Like, I'm a tiger. <laughs> you know, like we, and so what that ends up doing is every guy in the room, we all think that we're tigers. So we don't talk about it because if you talk about it, it means that you're not really sure and you haven't figured out 100% of what's happening. So we all end up being blind to this thing of sexuality. I think maybe not all of us, but a very high percentage of us, you know, and so what are you going to say? Well, people, people. A lot of people don't realize that sex is something we can learn how to do and how to do better. Right. I like to compare it to learning how to play an instrument. Yeah. Everyone has natural musical ability. We all love rhythm and melody. That's innate. That's in our hardware. And if you want to, you can learn how to play the piano. And there's nothing wrong with you if you don't know how to play the piano, but it's what's, what you can do, what you can create. And our sexuality is just like that. It's about learning to play our own instrument, how to be our own um, amazing musician of our erotic energy. And once you frame it that way, that this is something I can learn about if I want, then you can start to explore, well, how do I learn and what can I learn and what do I need to practice and where can I go? And when we start getting into the where we can go, it's pretty awesome. I got to tell you. Yeah. So you mentioned hardware and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's really important for men to understand that women have as much erectile tissue in their clitoris as men do in their penis. From my understanding, am I, am I right on saying that you can at any time say, Aaron, you're wrong. Well, women have an erectile network. They have a network of structures that are all made out of erectile tissue. And when you put it all together, it's the equivalent to the amount of erectile tissue that's in a penis. But it's not all about the head of the clitoris. We've been taught that the head of the clitoris is like it. It's the spot. It's a great spot. It's like the jewel in the crown. Mm -hmm. But it's only one piece of that whole network. And that's what women need to know. Because you know what? For, for a lot of us, for me... Um, and I just want to mention that my, my background is I'm a certified nurse midwife, gynecology practitioner, registered nurse, licensed massage therapist. I was a childbirth educator. So I really thought I knew about female anatomy. Um, and I was already a practicing midwife and I started to discover that there were all these parts I had never heard of. And so for me, when I figured out what's actually there uh, and how to make it happy and then could could teach my partners what was there and how to make it happy. It was sort of like I realized I'd been playing my piano uh, with 22 keys and I could make pretty good music with those 22 keys. But then I started to discover, oh, my piano has 88 keys and, and foot pedals and right. more, right? Yeah. There's actually an organ. There's all these other buttons and things. So when you, when you expand your mental map, then your experience expands. And that's what women and their partners need to know. Yeah. I, so when I say clitoris, I don't mean the, the crown jewel. I mean the clitoris, I mean the shaft, I mean the legs. And then beyond that, not what I haven't mentioned yet, um, which I think this probably is, is what it actually, pound for pound to, with the erectile tissue, it's probably mm -hmm. including the vestibular bulbs. It's probably including the urethral sponge. Um, you know, it, it's the, and the, the, perineal perine sponge. the perineal sponge. You know, mm -hmm. it's like there's yeah. so much to think about there. You're going to hate me for this. But as I was thinking, I'm very visual. And so I was almost imagining like a pool blow up toy. <laughs> this is very man. You know, so I was like, so, you, need to fully you need to fully inflate all aspects, all sections of the toy before you can yeah. really play with it. So true. I, and actually, I get men using coming up with that same analogy in okay. class all the time. Okay. And they're sort of like, okay, like, where's the little nozzle that I blow into? Like, where's the right. button I push to make this blow up? Right. And the, the trick with most women is that you the way you get the whole set of structures engorged is not by starting by playing with the structures. You start by playing with their mind. You start by turning on the rest of their body um, before you start to play with the genital structures. Yeah. And then when you get there, you start on the outside and then you 
gradually work your way in. And that's a common confusion we have around sexual energy. Yeah. Uh, we think it's pretty much the same in everybody. And it tends to operate differently in most women's female bodies than it operates in most male bodies. Yeah. And the way that you break that down in the book is kind of like starting off, well, being able to balance yin and yang, you know, or like more passive, soft with like the hard, you know, go for the gusto. And I think men, we generally, it's like, you know, touch my cock. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> this, this goes straight to that, you know, yeah. and I, I want to put it in, you know. <laughs> well, and that's how that more yang energy usually occurs. It starts in the genitals right. and then it doesn't really have to go very far. It could just hang out there. And that's why for most men, you know, anytime you wanted to, if you're playing with most men, most of the time, you could just dive right into their crotch, start playing with their dick, and they would be so happy. <laughs> Finally. Um, and our, right, our, right, she's touching it. Great. That's good. But that's our cultural map of how sexuality operates for everyone. Right. And for most women whose core sexual energy tends to be the yin, cool, watery, slow, starting from the outside, going to the edges, and then slowly moving towards the center. Mm. And that's why for most women, uh, we're more often thinking, oh, God, he's already in my crotch, right. rather than men are like, yay, she's in my crotch. Right. <laughs> like, oh, God, here he is. he's there again, too yeah. soon, yeah. too soon, too soon. So Slow down and figure out how how to pet your pussycat. All right. That's, that's, that's fantastic. So how, can, can we break down? So one of the things that I read in the book that I thought was really interesting as well was is that it's not – you don't just have erectile tissue in and around your pussy or vagina or however you want to call it. Um, it's also in your lips. It's also around the labia. It's also in your earlobes. It's also in your nostrils. You know, there's it's so much potential of engorgement with this. You know, so how do we break down really like systematically, you know, dummy's guide for blowing up the pool toy <laughs> for, 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 for actually getting things going to a point that it is it's 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 the right time. You know, how do we get to that point? I do you know. So here's the thing. And 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 most core young folk, i.e. most men, love formulas and steps and instructions. And the problem with that is that if you're playing with somebody who's got that core yin energy, uh, there's not going to be one set of instructions. So let me give you another analogy that might be more useful, which is like playing with a pussycat. And right, we don't play with dogs and cats the same way, right? Most dogs, you get out the ball, you're like, you want to, you want to throw the, you want to catch the ball? They're like, yeah, yeah. They, they say to the dog, you want to go for a ride in the car? They're like, yeah, let's go for a ride in the car. You're like, you want to fuck? Right? Great. Let's go. Let's fuck. Right? I mean, that's dog energy and it's wonderful. And I'm not in any way uh, denigrating it. It's enthusiastic and, and optimistic and loyal and playful and really, really fun. Mm -hmm. But you don't play with cats the same way. So if you came over to my house and you wanted to pet my pussycat, you would not start by running up to her and grabbing her and rolling on her back and rubbing her tummy because you would be bleeding and she'd be out of there, right? right. That would be all she wrote. You right. wouldn't probably even get another chance at that pussy. Right. So if you want to pet the pussycat, <laughs> you start by creating a connection, right? You're like, hey, pussy, you get make eye contact. And then if you're approaching the pussy, you go at her speed, right? Mm -hmm. You're watching her. You need to be attuned to the signals she's giving out. And if you pay attention and you approach her at the right pace, that would be her pace for that pussycat at that moment, which might be different next week or be different for a different cat, right? right. But that pussycat tuning in to the signals is, is she opening towards you or is she closing and pulling away? And if you take your time and you create an environment of trust, then soon, sooner or later, you'll get to start petting the pussycat. But even then, you don't start by rubbing her tummy. You start by stroking her head and rubbing her along her back and rubbing her ears. And you're proving to her that you're safe and you know how to give her pleasure right. and that you're attuned to her. And as you do that, she will open and open and relax. And how fast can you go? Well, I can't tell you, only she can tell you. The pussycat will tell you. Okay. She's going to give you those signals. And if you stay attuned to her signals, 
and you go at her pace, sooner or later, you will have that purring puddle of pussy that you're after. <laughs> I like it. So okay. I think we should get out on the table right now. So you're anthropomorphizing, you know, vagina or pussy into pussycat. You know, it's like mm -hmm. how, how cock, fuck, pussy, dick, yoni. Yeah. <laughs> like, all, it's, any of those words. it's okay good it's very interesting <laughs> it's fun to say it's very interesting that these words it's like it's either dirty or medical yeah. you know like we haven't really i don't know maybe somebody's out there i guess it all depends on like what you consider to be taboo and what you're comfortable with but we haven't i don't feel like we found a really good middle ground i like yoni i think yoni is very nice um i do too a lot yeah. of people don't know what it means. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> know what? <laughs> so could we like put it out there to the world? Like, here's some options. You know, this is, it's okay to say blank. You know, like, what do you, what do you think about titles? Yeah, well, language is one of the things that limits us around sexuality. Because as you say, we don't have good language. And it's one of the things I address in my book. And then I go ahead and I use all different kinds of words. And I do it when I teach and I do it on purpose. So sometimes if I'm in a more academic setting and I say a, a dirty word, you know, you'll get this like, you know, she's, she's doing, you know, an in-service medical training and she said pussy, right? right? And there'll be this, this unacceptable, right? Because we're supposed to say vulva and, and vagina. Right. But the truth is they're just words. We just made them up. They're just sounds and we, we make them mean something. And until we decriminalize language, we're still going to have challenges talking about sex. Right. And so to me, any you can use any language you want. There's nothing that's going to offend me when it comes to talking about the body. Right. And we still have a big challenge because we don't have sexy, comfortable, reverent, um, lusty, loving language for body parts of the things we'd like to do with those body parts so it's it's a it's a journey but you everyone really just needs to find their own comfortable language yeah that's that's the take home for people find what works for you yeah so i think for this conversation i say we go cock pussy and yoni i think that you could interchange and lingam. between that and okay, okay. oh and lingam yeah yeah okay. I, I, yeah, yeah ling, lingam's nice too i'm like i'm okay with penis vagina sounds like something you call into work for of like you're sick you know it's like i had a vagina in my throat you know i wasn't <laughs> able i'm sorry you know, I need and some that rope. totally would work with cock <laughs> right no i have a cock in my throat but, but i always it think penis work. Penis sounds like something that crawled out from under a rock, like a penis. All right, like, yeah, so, I, don't, so I don't like that word. Lingam, lingam and yoni, then we'll do that. You know, so, I'm, but you know, cock and cock and pussy are are good too. But you know, remember they're they're just domesticated animals, right? Right, exactly. Why don't we like? Why don't we call it like the the tigress and the wolf or something? You know. Sure. So that's what we're going for. We want the wild animal that's not like a tame pussycat or a you know barnyard animal. Right. Well, that's kind of it's. I mean, that's kind of what we've been working on doing. And it's the same thing with with like the domestication of human beings in general. You know, it's like mm -hmm. we we feel very uncomfortable with the humanness of ourselves. You know, we get you know deodorant with aluminum in it. And we get all this different stuff to cover up any type of natural smells. That's got to be confusing for us at an evolutionary level. You know, it's like we are operated by these subtle hormonal changes and pheromones and there's so much which it once again gets back to Henry Miller talking about the wisdom of the body you know it's so important to get the heck out of your way and just start moving like if it feels right it is right you know one of the things that you mentioned in the book that I thought was interesting was talking about sex at a systems level right and then so you said sex at a system level I might be saying this wrong you can again always always correct me but sex in a system level you say is better and then sex that integrates mind body heart and spirit is best what is that well I think you know sex can be so many different things and and have so much different meaning for people so understanding that our sexual first of all our sexuality is first and foremost about our relationship with ourselves and understanding our whole selves, not just even mind, body, heart, and spirit, but our, our past and our present and the evolutionary templates that we've got and the cultural overlays and really understanding that. So that that's number one. Yeah. And then understanding that sex is really one of the great 
powers on the planet, right? It's the life force. Yeah. We wouldn't be here if, if our parents hadn't had sex. And most of the life on the planet wouldn't be here without sex. Like that, number one is personal survival, but number two is reproduction. Right. And that is so ancient and so powerful and so pervasive, right? Sex makes life. Sure. How could it be anything other than sacred? So I think it's one of the ways we can understand. To, to me, sex is about connection, yeah. connection with yourself, connection with another person, connection with the whole planet, connection with our animal selves, and, you know, connection with our spirit, our sacred selves. So when we start understanding it is an individual, unique thing that the relationship we each have with our sexuality and it's a it's a microcosm of the macrocosm which is the whole planetary system we're living on right and so i think i think that's what i was talking about right in yeah. the book. <laughs> <laughs> it was years ago i wrote that book what are you asking me questions about that book for so um yeah i think it's along with that it's really important that we are not ashamed to have sex with ourselves you know and it's like one of the things that i've i think i've heard you mention it uh, was like like creating dates for yourself you know and again it's like all this stuff it's like it's so funny even me talking about it right now like i'm, I'm pretty open dude so I'm, I'm i'm all right but um there is like a degree of like my mom's probably gonna listen to this <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's oh my gosh i'm admitting that i have sex with myself right totally that's that's, that's but, horrible i mean oh, everybody could crazy, tell everybody could tell by the hair on my knuckles or the palm of my hand or whatever and you know there's mm -hmm. there's all this different stuff around it's like don't do it i was looking and i was wikipediaing um sex anti-masturbation machines or something and that's oh, like that's like oh, a that's real bad. thing that's amazing. Don't look at those pictures. They're it's bad. Incredible. Nightmares it them. looks like a little record player with like a wire hooking up to your genitals. And I think anytime you get stimulated, it like shocks your junk. That's amazing. <laughs> that, 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 that's a thing. <laughs> so, so the word masturbation, the Latin means to pollute with your hand. Nice. <laughs> right. So that's a, like another little microcosm of Western cultural's attitudes about sex, right. including solo sex. Right. Right. So. You know, if you go back a thousand, two thousand years and any time before that, sex was just natural and it was normal and it's what people did and it's what made babies and connected people. And there just wasn't this cultural shame. But in the last couple of thousand years, Western culture has just done a bang up job of making sex dirty and sinful in the body, horrible and something you have to transcend because it's going to, you know, pleasure will lead you down the path to hell and all this other crap. But we we have these, even if we know better, I mean, even if we're kind of culturally going like, well, I don't believe that, there's still this underlying set of sex negative beliefs that we have and our relationship with solo sex is really uh, an indicative. I actually had somebody say to me once, you know, I was a class of yours 10 years ago and you said something that changed my life. I'm like, wow, cool, awesome, what I say? And she said, you use the words solo sex instead of masturbation. Right. And she said, that was such an amazing reframe for me awesome. that, wait, the sex I have with myself is, is, is real. It's real sex and it's important and it's valid. And it's, and it's a way we, I like to think of solo sex as it's our learning laboratory. It's our retreat. It's our meditation practice. It's our rehearsal space where we can practice things. Um, we can run experiments. Oh, and it's our spa. It's our, you know, place to go to relax and rejuvenate. And it's how we can love ourselves. So where does all this, you know, negativity around solo sex come from? Well, yeah. it's it's there. We just have to root it out. I like that in the book as well, you openly use the word slut, which I think that that's, you know, it's been, it's like... We want women to be sluts in the bedroom, you know, but then at the same time, we don't want them to be having sex with anybody. <laughs> you know? It's like, how do they, they got to figure it out somehow? You know, so I, I, I think, I think it's, it's very interesting that we have this taboo around this thing, you know, that it's, it's so healthy and feeds us at every single level. And it's, it's one of the only opportunities that we have to genuinely get out of our heads, you know, and it's like, I think. One of the things I'd really, I wanted, I'm going to like keep on drawing this out. Wait, wait, I'm gonna, I just have to go talk on. about the slut thing before you go on. So, yeah. so slut is something that I've chosen to reclaim and it's a really triggery charged word for a lot of people. So I should define for me, Please. slut is for anyone, male or female, 
who loves sex. Right. And it's not about how much sex you have or who you have sex with or how many partners you have. It's not gendered. So you could be a promiscuous slut. That's certainly an option. You could also be a very selective slut. You could be a monogamous slut. You could be, you could have sex with no one but yourself and still be a slut. So to me, that's the reframe I'm using for the word slut. Again, doesn't have to be the word that other people want to use. But for me, I want a word that just is sex celebratory. Yeah. And that's the one I've chosen. And I've chosen it on purpose because it's a word that's been used to shame women. Because the catch-22 for women around sex is don't be a slut, don't be a prude. Right. Right? Those are the two options when I was in high school. Guess what? There's still the two options now. Yeah. Either you're a prude or you're a slut. Either way, you lose you're either not sexy enough or you're too sexy and there's no winning as long as you stay in that model. Right. And so what I, the reason I, I say that, I, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. And I think it is important that we take it back that it is okay to want to have sex. It's okay to want to masturbate. It's okay to have tingly feelings in your pants. You know, but we've, we've had so much taboo around it. What it's done is it's paralyzed our ability to have a healthy sexual relationship with ourselves and those around us. Men, generally, you know, premature ejaculators. You know, it's like, Mom's coming up into the room like, I got to get this thing done. <laughs> With yeah, women, that's the early the template for most men, right? right. Is I got to do that. I got to be quick and quiet right. so I don't get caught. Right. Um, and and most most of us women, if we were pleasuring ourselves when we were teenagers or fooling around, you know, with our with our little friends up in our bedrooms, we were being quiet. Right. right. So we all got that message. Got to be quiet so right. you don't get caught. Totally. And. Part of reclaiming sex, really part of reclaiming our erotic potential, is actually breaking through the sound barrier. Yeah. That's one of the bigger things. And how do we repattern ourselves, right? How do we stop doing sex in a way that's um, uh, hidden and shameful and do it in a way that is exploratory and celebratory and, and, and delightful? And we can do that. And it's a, it's a project. It's an ongoing Lifelong learning journey. Yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. And then I think along with women, you know, there's a lot of guilt, which is why I like the slut word. You know, there's a lot of guilt or taking the slut word back. You know, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of guilt around, you know, wanting to pleasure yourself or have sex. And then that, I assume, would lead to potential issues with getting off, with having orgasms, perhaps, you know. And so I'm curious your perspective on how do we get women to really embody and take control themselves so that they can have these healthy things called orgasm, which I'm curious what exactly an orgasm is <laughs> and what like the health impacts of that are. Uh, all right, let's go down. Both that of those side. questions. Yeah. All right. That was like four in there. So first of all, yes, there are, there are a lot of women who have orgasm challenges. The statistics, which are, are vague, but something like 10% of women have never yet had an orgasm. And I guarantee you those women are walking around feeling like there's something wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you. Anyone who's listening to this, if you've never had an orgasm, there's nothing wrong with you. There's just stuff you haven't learned yet. Just things that you can learn if you want. And the way to learn, the best way to learn is self-pleasure. Because, again, it's like if you're learning how to play the piano, you don't start by playing duets. You start by playing your own instrument. So for women who have orgasm challenges and, and, and if we start including women who have orgasms sometimes but not all the time and they don't know why, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, they have a lot of anxiety and frustration around that because they're not what I would call orgasmically proficient. Right. Proficiency means you're going to have an orgasm sooner or later, one way or another. That's proficient. You can get there somehow. And so, you know, statistically, I don't even have a number for that, but I'm going to guess that uh, 30, 40 percent of women are in that challenged category. Hmm. So we can learn to become proficient. The way to learn is self-pleasure. Then once you figure out what works for you, how your instrument works, then you can teach your partners because guess what? Guys do not come with a little uh, set of instructions inside their brains about how to turn women on and give them orgasms. Right. Right. So it's not your job, not your job, guys, to figure that out. It's the woman's job to figure it out and then let you know what it is that works for her and what she needs because there's no psychic partners who can figure this out. And generally speaking, men's um, operating system is kind of different. It's like having a Mac or a PC. You know, some buttons you push them and they're the same. Other ones you push in the buttons, it just doesn't work the same. Right. right? So if you're used to using one and you're trying to use the other one, it's very confusing. 
Right. So understanding those different dynamics is really helpful. Um, for men, generally speaking, most men can have an orgasm, but the um, duration of their arousal, when they have an orgasm, how easy it is to have orgasms at the time when they're uh, intending to, that's the stuff that men can learn. And then men can also learn how to slow that down, spread it out, and indeed have non-ejaculatory orgasms, just like women can learn to have mega orgasms and ejaculatory orgasms and multiple, multiple, multiple ongoing um, ecstatic orgasmic states. So that's learnable by everybody, all that stuff. Awesome. And so uh, I think there's a lot of things in our, in our culture. You still didn't get the, what is an orgasm oh. thing? There's a lot of things. Okay. It's like, it's such normal, commonplace thing to talk about, but I bet you a very, very low percentage of people could really give you an explanation of like, yeah, this is actually why we have orgasms and what that is. Could you kind of help us out with that? I'll start with uh, Wikipedia has about 26 definitions of orgasm hmm. um, and that there isn't actually any one agreed upon scientific definition of orgasm. Hmm. When you start looking at science, they try and define orgasm by the physical, obvious, observable things that happen. Pelvic floor muscles contract. Okay. Yep. That's def that happens. Um, and a lot of the scientific definitions don't even include the pleasure part which is really funny. Right. Um, but we do know that during orgasm, we are flooded by biochemical soup of pleasure uh, <laughs> stuff. You know, it's just, we're just, we get these waves of feel-good chemicals. Uh, we have pleasurable muscle contractions. And, and then there's a whole list of other uh, things that are included, but, but they're really hard to define. I mean, how do you define pleasure or ecstasy right. how do you you know if if somebody was blind how would you describe red right i mean so describing orgasm is not so easy and i can say for myself i actually for the i don't know the first i don't know 20 years i was having orgasms i thought an orgasm was a fairly specific set of things that happened hmm. i'd get to a state of arousal then i'd go into the orgasm and it would last you know a minute and there'd be these pleasurable contractions and so forth but it would be very genitally focused usually clitorally focused right. and that was my experience of orgasm and then as I started doing this work, I began to discover that, well, first of all, it doesn't have to last a minute. It could last an hour. Um, it doesn't have to be one peak. It can be dozens and dozens of peaks. But also it could be centered in other body parts. You could have heartgasms. Hmm. You could have have orgasms in your in your brain. You can have the top of your head blow off. You can have full body orgasms that every muscle in your body is dancing along with your um, pelvic floor muscles as they contract. And um, you can have energy orgasms and hands-off orgasms. So my definition of orgasm has expanded dramatically as my experience expanded. So how does a person start to tap into that energy flowing up the spine and, you know, blowing up the crown chakra and out, the, you know, and then back down to the, your perineum, you know, it's all this stuff. And mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it's like, what is she talking about? You know, and then there's a very, very small minority that's like, yes, preach it. You know? <laughs> so, for, so for the other, you know, the other like 99% of people that don't even know what a heart, heart chakra is or a crown chakra, mm -hmm. you know, like rolling energy up your spine. You know, like, how do we start to actually make that be a tangible thing that we can practice and play with on a daily basis? Well, in, in the book I just came out with, in Succulent Sex Craft, I talk about what I call our sex craft toolkit. And that's all of the things that we've all got uh, that we're already using um, in order that we can use to enhance our erotic trance. Arousal is a trance state. And so when we're turned on, we're in this erotic trance. So you can use breathing, you can use sound, you can use intention and imagination. Um, you can use lots of these different tools. And one of the ways to start is by doing what you normally do. You don't have to do anything different. Do your usual turning yourself on, getting yourself aroused thing. And just bring in one or two of the tools to help you. So you're going to be breathing anyway. It's not like you weren't breathing and you're going to start. But breathe a little more. Breathe a little deeper. When you get to a part of your arousal where you normally be fast, try breathing a little slower. 
If there's a place in your arousal or orgasm pattern where you hold your breath, see what happens if you keep your breath moving. Uh, let some sound out. Make some little sounds of pleasure. Um, and then uh, the simplest movement to really enhance sex is using your pelvic floor muscles. So the next time you're having sex with yourself, breathe a little more, uh, pump your pelvic floor muscles, and make some sound. Hmm. That's it. Really simple. You're using three of your tools and your intention because you're intending this to happen. And you're going to find that your arousal is easier and better and deeper. And if you use those tools while you have an orgasm, it'll go from, for most men, an orgasm, an ejaculatory orgasm lasts 15 to 30 seconds. Uh, for most women, it's about a minute, 45 seconds to a minute. So just during your next orgasm, keep breathing, making some sound and pumping your pelvic floor muscles. You'll double your orgasm right there. What? And then you have that experience and you start to go, oh, oh, that wasn't hard. That was, I just did a few little things and it got better. And then you can start seeing how if you get more adept at using more and more tools, um, it becomes easier and easier to have more pleasure. And so for, for men, um, getting to that point of actually ejaculating, and I talk to a lot of people about this because I'm, I'm curious, you know, of like, is it healthier to not ejaculate? Is it healthier to kind of like save it? Is it healthier to, you know, as much as possible, you know? And so, so firstly, that's the first part, part one, is it healthy to do that? And then the other part is, if it is healthy, how do we teach people to be able to actually practice that and utilize that? What are the steps to be able to actually hold in ejaculation and continue with multiple orgasms for man? Well, they're really good questions, and some I can answer for you and some I can't because I'm female-bodied. So I don't have the embodied experience. Like when I teach women about female ejaculation, I can teach it because I know a lot about it, but also because I've been in the experience of learning it and then experiencing it. And, I, and so I can teach from inside the experience in a way that I really can't when I'm talking about male non-ejaculatory orgasms. Right. But what I can say is I know for sure um, is that orgasmic energy itself is really enlivening and good for you and healthy. So I'm separating ejaculation and orgasm mm -hmm. um, at this moment. Right. We tend to think they're the same thing, but they're not. So putting ejaculation aside for a moment, the experience of orgasm, whether you're male or female body, is um, good for you in every way. It's, it's, it's got all the benefits of exercise and meditation and, and uh, lowers your blood pressure. And it's a great, um, gets you high and um, relieves anxiety and depression and helps you sleep. All the, all the good stuff it does. It supports your immune system. So right. orgasm itself, we know, is healthy. Now, ejaculation in men is something that is really an interesting question. And different uh, sacred sexuality disciplines give us different ideas about that. The Taoists in particular are um, so somewhat biased towards not ejaculating. Their concept is that when men ejaculate, they lose vital energy. And that if you ejaculate too much, it's going to make you unhealthy. But that is separate from orgasm. They're not talking about not having orgasms. We're talking about not ejaculating. Right. Um, so for the men I know who have learned to have non-ejaculatory orgasms, that they, they that seems like it's a pretty powerful way of circulating that energy and, and using it for health and aliveness. Right. But I also know lots of men who are healthy and alive and they ejaculate with their orgasms. So I can't really say for sure. I think you really have to kind of tune into your own experience. If you have ejaculatory orgasm, um, how do you feel the next day? If you're feeling really depleted and drained, then you might want to start saying, <clears throat> let me cut down on the ejaculations. And whether you ejaculate or not, learning how to circulate that erotic energy and have lots of orgasmic peaks without ejaculating is still really good. Yeah. Even if at the end of it, you decide you're going to squirt or you're not going to squirt. Right. So that's what I can tell you. Yeah. So you said it. Squirt. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was like top of the list of, 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 I think, curiosities that I myself and, I, again, I think 90, uh, very high percentage of people are probably curious about like what is as you call it she ejaculation like like female <laughs> female ejaculation exactly and then is anyone able to obtain that and is it a really healthy thing or is it you know like what is that can we talk about that a bit 
Yeah. So female ejaculation is a learnable skill. Um, some women are what I call natural ejaculators. They just always have and they always do and they don't have to learn anything. Uh, for the rest of us, if we want to learn it, we can. All women have the equipment and it's about learning, again, how to use what you've got. And learning how to ejaculate while you're having orgasms for women is really awesome. I mean, like, really awesome. Like, really, really um, powerful. So I really recommend learning how to do it because it's going to knock your socks off. And again, if we go back to ancient cultures, they recognized that this fluid was this very powerful, sacred healing fluid. So in, in India, they they would collect it. This is thousands of years ago, but they would collect it during sexual rituals and they would drink it as sacred medicine and they would pour it on wounds. And in China, they called it white moonflower medicine. So I've always suspected that this fluid was um, healing. And I believe it has antimicrobial properties and that the reason that the fluid um, exists in women's bodies is to prevent urinary tract infections. Mm. So the fluid is made by glandular structures that are in the erectile tissue tube that surrounds the urethra. So I just threw a lot of stuff out there. So let me just back up. So when we were talking before about the erectile network and all the different structures that women have, most of which are not in the books, um, one of those pieces of erectile tissue is a tube of erectile tissue that surrounds the urethra. That's the pee tube. It goes from the bladder and out the pee hole. So it's like a roll of paper towels. And the urethra is like the cardboard tube in the center and the erectile tissue is like the paper towels. And when it's not engorged, it's like you're kind of at the end of the roll of paper towels. And when it's really engorged, it's like a brand new jumbo roll of paper towels. So, and that's just above the roof of the vagina. You can also access it um, from the vulva externally um, from the area right around where the urethra exits. So that tube of erectile tissue, which is really yummy and fun to play with, when a woman is aroused enough, if you're playing with it and it doesn't feel great to her, or if it doesn't feel great to you, if it's yours, um, you're not aroused enough. Right. Right. So at high level arousal, when it's already partially engorged and you play with it, it's going to feel pretty, pretty fun, pretty awesome. And what's in that erectile tissue are these glandular tubules. And they fill with fluid. The more engorgement you have, the more fluid that you'll make. And then um, that fluid um, goes into the urethra through little tiny ducts, through little openings, goes into the urethra, and then it's going to come out. And if you allow it to come out, out, all the way out, it'll come out through the pee hole. Um, if women hold the fluid back, it'll back up into the bladder. Hmm. And depending on how much engorgement is, uh, will affect how much fluid is made. Hmm. So when you're learning how to have this happen, you have lots of uh, arousal and engorgement to your whole mind, body, everything, get everything really turned on, get the whole erectile network really engorged, blow up your, blow up your pull toy, really, really big, all the parts of your pull toy, um, and then stimulate that sponge. And then with orgasm, if the woman bears down and also at the same time sort of opens and in class, I explain this a lot more, um, that fluid will come out. And it will be an amazing enhancement to the orgasmic experience. So I really, really recommend um, exploring this. And for women who get chronic urinary tract infections, if you learn to ejaculate, you won't get urinary tract infections anymore. Hmm. At least that's my anecdotal um, experience. So your thought is that the, um, the secretion from the periurethral glands is mm-hmm. antifungal, antibacterial, anti—you know, kill all the bad stuff? I think it's antimicrobial, probably antibacterial is, is most the most likely hmm. antimicrobial effect it would have. It might be antiviral or antifungal, but generally speaking, 99% of urinary tract infections are bacterial. Okay. And so is that something with the female ejaculation, is that something that any man can like bring that to a woman? Or is that something that like the woman really has to do her due diligence to make that happen? And is it, as well as it, it's, it's predominantly is stimulation of the, uh, the G spot, right? Yeah. I hate calling it that cause it's not a spot and the guy it's named after Grafenberg doesn't have one, but, but um, <laughs> it, it, it is, that's the spot they're talking about. And so uh, the woman's, it, it definitely starts with her. She's really got to be 
um, active, willing, giving herself permission, letting herself get that aroused, that stimulated, and then allowing herself to release the fluid. If she happens to have a supportive partner nearby, they can certainly uh, be very helpful in giving the kind of stimulation <clears throat> that's most likely to make this happen at the same time, uh, you know, being an encouraging presence, creating a, a sense of permission, you know, that's, that's what our partners can always do for us awesome. um, is create that sense of, you know, like, yeah, baby, like, yeah, go for it. Right. 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 Yeah. So the, so the, the G spot, sorry for, for saying that term, if you don't like it, it was, it's actually the uh, urethral sponge. So it's not necessarily like a little point, but so much, it's more the wrapping around that whole space that you can feel in the hood. Right. You can feel it from, um, through the roof. Right. of the vagina right. and you can feel the length of it. It's usually about two inches long. Um, you can feel sort of the, the gutters on either side. You can't really feel the top of the tube because you have to go through the abdomen to do that. Right. right. That's going to, that would be inside the body. Right. Um, the other place you can access it is um, in the area around where the urethral opening is. Cause that'll be the end of the whole tube. And that's how you know it's a tube. Actually, when that gets really engorged, you can actually see that raised, ring of erectile tissue surrounding the urethral opening and is there some specific tips or tricks for people you know should people be thinking of okay i'm working the perennial sponge okay i'm working the urethral sponge okay i'm working the vestibular bulbs you know which is essentially it's like the engorgement <laughs> around the vagina um mm -hmm. is there some kind of like plan of attack with that or is there something <laughs> I know. And I'm sure some That's of the, the, the I know, absolutely. But, but I, assume the a, I assume there's a lot of guys Start listening. Start on the outside. Right. Start on the outside and work your way in. Start with broad and then get more specific. Okay. So after you've turned on your, your partner's mind always the best place to start uh, opened up her heart that's good um, got all the distractions out of the way because yin energy is distractible right. right that's why we're like oh my god look at the cobwebs up there i really need to dust when well, like something lovely is happening to our body you know um helped to help her turn off that front part of the brain which we talked a little bit about but how do you get that the uh, executive office of the brain, the neocortex to shut the hell up, right? Because right? it's always yapping and criticizing and judging and keeping us out of our trance. So how do we get deep in our trance? Then when you do get to the genitals um, or to that area, well, first of all, teasing and taking your time to get there is really great. So, you know, the, I like to call there's the techniques like circling, like, like you're circling around the area and you're gradually getting closer and closer and closer where you're not quite touching it. And then maybe your hand just breezes across and like accidentally touches the outside of her vulva and then, you know, goes back to the thigh or something, that kind of teasing. So you get her to the point where she's like, touch it already, touch it, right? Like she's right. like eager, Right. Begging. Right. At that point, then you still want to you want to stay with the outside of the vulva. You want to play with the vestibular bulbs and the other areas that you can really get from the outside. And when all that is big and juicy and puffy and she's really, really, really desperate to have something inside, that's when you can put a finger or a toy or um, not even a penis yet. Because I would like say like, like really want to wait for that, like wait to the point where she's like, give it to me, God damn it. Right. Yeah. Anyway, but at that point. When she's at that level of high arousal and eagerness, that's a great time then to use your fingers and stimulate all the internal erectile tissue. Right. And then as well, you know, sex should start well before you're actually, you know, stimulating the vulva. You know, it should be ideally, I would, I would, I would say, you know, start with a text message, you know, start with a, start with a phone call, start with, you know, you're on the date, start with, you know, it's like the way that you're treating each other. And it's not just men treating women. You know, I think that, you know, it's like women, it's like, Oh, I am a goddess. It's like, if you're a goddess, then I'm a God, you know, it's like, you we're, we're both right. equal parts, you know, yes, so I, and I, if you treat each other like that. Right. You know, and so I think it's really yeah. important that it's like, you kind of have that dance, you know, and recognize that it's not just, okay, here we go. We're at the genitals. <laughs> You know, but ideally it's been going on for, you know, days, weeks, hours, whatever. Ideally. That'd be a fine thing. That's my thought. You know, so I, I think that's really important. I think that, you know, in relationship, treating each other lovingly and kindly in a positive way 
is super important to relationships so that you're going to actually feel like when you do have time and uh, you're going to get together that you actually like each other. That's a good start. <laughs> That's an ideal. That's <laughs> an ideal. Yeah. Uh, you're so idealistic. You live with somebody. I know. But if you live with somebody, you're not going to like them all the time. That's just realistic, too. But how do we create an environment with as much positivity as we can? And that's something that we can consciously create. So, you know, we're now we're talking about relationship skills. But, you know, if you really want to plan a seduction of your partner, and again, this goes either way, um, you know, start it with the sexy text message or the little note on the mirror. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of real kissing. Like, not the little peck on the cheek, but, like, taking a minute before you leave for work and actually, like, lips, tongue, wet kissing, not, like, sloppy. It's funny. I say, like, wet kissing. And some of you are like, sloppy? I'm like, no, not sloppy. And like, like, you know, tongue. Right. Like, like, really taste each other. Savor each other's mouths. Right. Um, do that three times during the day. Right. Like before you leave for work, when you come home from work, you know, whatever, after you wash the dishes. And then that evening, you're going to actually be primed in a different way, just for something as simple as kissing. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, when you when you actually get to the touching each other's bodies and pleasuring each other's bodies, like slow down, enjoy the whole body. Right. There's a whole body there, not just a crotch and boobs and a butt. <laughs> <laughs> right. What? Yep. Uh, so do we have, is it okay if we go 10 more minutes? Sure. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so the question, so I was, I was joking with the plan of attack thing. Um, but along with that, though, the plan of attack kind of relates to porn. You know, it's like if your education comes from where so many people's education comes from, it probably is a plan of attack because you, you know, you get straight to like, oh, here we go. You know, like what's how realistic is pornography? And then is it I know it's not realistic. Um, so but is it unhealthy to, to watch porn? Is it healthy to watch porn? Like, What do you think? Well, let's start with the realistic. Um, it's not. It's just not. Most porn are act. It's actors who are playing out what they think people want to see. A lot of it is faked. A lot of things are happening that you don't see. So the thing about watching porn to learn how to have sex, I say it's like watching sitcoms to learn how to be a good parent. It's just not the place you go to learn. Right. It might be entertaining. It might be, you know, porn is entertaining, it's it's arousing, but it's not a good learning place. So if you are watching a lot of porn, one of the downsides is that you then behave that way with a partner. And um, most of the time, uh, that's not going to work very well. So you're going to have a lot of challenges with real live human people um, if you try and act out the porn stuff you see. So if you watch porn with that in mind, with the understanding that this is not really how real people actually interact, um, that will be helpful. I think in terms of whether porn is, you know, healthy or unhealthy, I think like anything else, it's about your relationship with it. So if you're in a relationship with porn where it's compulsive and out of control and screwing up your life in other ways, then that's a problem that you've got to deal with. Um, I do think it's really important to make sure that you self-pleasure sometimes without porn. Mm. And I'm not pr primarily speaking to men, but if every time you self-pleasure, you're watching porn and you never self-pleasure without watching porn, you're really missing out a lot on a lot of the pleasure you can have. Um, and you're programming yourself in a way that's not going to be very useful with partner sex. Yeah. So at a minimum, you know, maybe 50, 50, um, have solo sex and watch porn half the time and half the time use your imagination, use fantasy and use your solo sex as the learning opportunity. It is where you can learn how to play with your own sexual energy and slow it down and spread it out and move it around and expand it. And you're not going to do those things when you're watching porn. Okay. So it's important to, to balance that out. Okay. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's wonderful. I, would you be able to take us through what you, if you could paint a picture of what your optimal sexual experience is, um, starting from, you know, not actually in the sheets, like oh how, like, like, was that possible <laughs> without blushing? 
<laughs> I, I don't blush very much, but um, yeah, I mean, but here's the thing that would just be what I come up with right now. That doesn't mean it would be what I would come up with in a week, right. but I'll, I'll try and give you some generals. Um, for me, it would look like um, probably not being in my house because I'm an entrepreneur and we run this business and I right. run it with my partner. So for me, being in my house means there's this constant need of to do work and reminders of work that needs doing. Mm. So for me, I think the optimal sex and date would be somewhere else. Right? Sure. So we're going somewhere else. Let's make it really good. Let's like, let's go to the ocean. Let's have a villa on the ocean where they're going to like bring us gourmet food when we want it. And um, there's like some ocean going on and like, you know, we can go to the spa and get some massages. And um, so, so if we're having like the optimal sex, yeah, yeah, here yeah, we go. go. For, go for and it. then, right, then, so you have a, you know, you've had a day of, you know, being able to lounge around, no phone calls, no computer, no, no cell phone, no, nothing beeping or buzzing. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we'll probably start with like a couple hours of just like, like touching and massaging and, you know, maybe like, you know, bathing and, or, you know, or showering and, you know, getting like really wet and clean and, and um, just hours of loungy, sensual play and um, that would intermittently become more and more erotic and then intermittently go back to sensual. And it would probably involve hours and hours and hours of orgasms. Nice. And, um, and then, like, afterwards, people would bring us food. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's and then word. people would clean up the mess. Absolutely. That would be like that would be like my most awesome date. Yeah. So speaking, you know, it's it's really interesting that the the world that we live in now because we're so impacted by these, you know, buzzing, beeping, Wi-Fi signals, medications, you know, sitting on our ass all day. You know, like there's so much we're inundated with this artificial stimuli that has to have a deeper impact. And one of the things that you you mentioned in the book is uh, menstrual cycles for women. You know, you go to like indigenous cultures, it's like the moon's coming, you know, it's like you can, you can, you can tap it down to literally, you know, what's happening with the moon, you know, I'm having my moon, look at the moon. You know, what do you think the health impact on women of having say an irregular schedule and, um, you know, like what is the value in, in menstruation for women? Mm, big, big topic. So just to, to frame it, I think in primal cultures, women were all synchronized with the moon cycle and uh, all synchronized with each other. So women would bleed all at the same time of the month when the moon was dark, and they would all ovulate when the moon is full. And when we lived in a tribe, we also, we, we bioregulate each other. We literally, women with a stronger hormonal axis would support other women whose cycle was weaker. And, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, the phenomenon when women live together, they hang out together, their cycles start to synchronize, right? Because right? we actually, uh, tribally, that's how we were. Um, so that would improve the fertility and the health of, of the tribe. So that was one of the functions of that. And what that meant also was that women, um, again, in traditional cultures, when they were bleeding, would go off by themselves away from the men, just with the other women, and do ritual and have ceremony and be relieved of their normal duties and responsibilities. So the, the moon time, the bleeding time, was a special sacred time. And it was when women were considered to be very spiritually powerful and um, a time for them really to, to be off-duty as moms and wives and, and um, um, all the other things that they would do. So what happens, I think, in our culture because of many things, including artificial light and our crazy schedules and that we don't live in proximity and we have all these influences, including all the you know, hormonal um, synthetic hormones that are coming in our food and all that stuff. Um, so our cycles are just all over the place. They're really crazy. Right. And I think that there's a lot of health effects of that. I think the fertility challenges would be one of the, the most obvious ones that we have a lot of couples, women who are having uh, challenges with getting pregnant. Right. Um, so I think that that's one of many things. I think the other thing is that we, at least I was raised like, you know, women were just as good as men and everything's the same. And just because you have your period, you can still do everything. And, you know, you can just, it's, you're not, nothing's different. But I think the truth is 
And when I really started tuning into my own cycle, I noticed that I really was different at different times of the month. And that if I honored that, I felt better and everyone around me was happier too. Right. Um, for example, right before you get your period, that is a time when we're most sensitive and easily irritated. We call it PMS, right? I call it like personal meditation space, sure. right? That's the time of the month when, when normally we would need to have more alone time and uh, be closer to nature and have less stress. Um, and if we recognize, okay, that that last week of my cycle before I bleed, I need to, I shouldn't be planning a party that week. Right. I shouldn't be having, you know, things that are due that week. We can't usually arrange our lives that way, right? right? If if we can, when we start bleeding, it, it's kind of awesome to be able to go out in the woods and be in nature and get away from all the technology and not have anybody bugging us, you know, so get away from our kids and our spouses and our jobs and our homes. And Again, most of us can't do that because our lives aren't like that. But if you can, at least, you know, uh, schedule that for a lighter, easier day. Um, if you do have the kind of work, you know, like I do, where sometimes you can just be like, yeah, I'm not doing anything today. I'm taking right. the day off. Right. Um, take the day off. So at least we can honor and respect the different energies that we're at at different times of our cycle. And, if, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be ovulating around then. That would be like the perfect time to throw a big, great, awesome party. Yeah, because I'm going to feel really social and outgoing, and right. it's going to be really an exciting thing to do. There's so a, there's at least a, we can do that. There's a book out there that you'd probably enjoy. You might have read already called Moody Bitches. Have you heard of that book? Mm -mm. Okay, yeah, it's and it's. Um, I think it's got a, a lot of uh, you know drawback or, or kickback of because of the you know, more of the moody part, not so much the bitches, is from my understanding. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I I theorize that that is why one of the one of the big reasons why. Uh, young girls mature mentally faster than men, you know, because mm -hmm. men, you know, for, for like your most of your life, it's like, go, 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 you know, whereas with yeah. women, you go through this time and like, it has to be introspective. Again, I don't know anything about it, but it has to be very introspective. You know, it's like, you're releasing the potential for life, you know, and like mm -hmm. that experience when you experience that at a really young age. That has to be impactful. So I, I assume there's a big part of why generally young girls are more mature than young men is is that, I, I would think. Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I do see that also that the young women do seem to be more mature than young men. And I think there's lots of factors. Um, but I think for, for most women, our culture doesn't do anything to support that tuning in. It's actually what we started out this whole conversation talking about. Um, being tuned into the natural animal that we are, among other things, and the, the wisdom of the body. So I think, you know, for a large part of my life, certainly at least until I was in my 20s and started, um, you know, finding sort of, you know, female-centered spirituality and understanding these, these traditions around the moon time, um, that was really pretty awesome for me to start tuning in and going, oh, I am different, and I should listen and learn about that and respect that and try and live my life in a way that honors that. So yeah. um, I think for, for a lot of women, they've never gotten that message. So they're still trying to be like, I'm just as good as men. I can do everything men can do. And my right. cycle doesn't affect me and I'm not different. And, right. and um, instead of going like, well, actually there are different things going on energetically at different yeah. times and, and I can honor that. Awesome. Well, mm -hmm. I so greatly appreciate the work that you're doing. I can't, I'm looking forward to reading, is it Succulent Sex Craft is the next book coming up? Mm -hmm. Or already, already, already out rather? It's out, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I had a great time reading, reading the female women's anatomy, women's anatomy of arousal. And uh, I think everybody should check it out. I think it's a must read to really just have an understanding of, like you said, being able to really be able to play that instrument, be a virtuoso, as you say, I think it's so important. And just to ask for advice, you know, it's okay to not know everything. You know, it's so important to just put yourself out there and be, you know, be an amateur, be a rookie and get curious. How do people find uh, information about you, your website, and just how do people find you? Well, easiest way is go to my website, intimateartscenter.com intimate arts is plural center spelled the american way um, intimateartscenter.com and there's lots of articles and blogs and video blogs and there you can get um the various books that we've published there and you can see my schedules you can see where i'm going and what i'm doing and where i'm teaching uh there's online classes uh you can get on my email list and then you'll get newsletters uh you can like my facebook page you can follow me on twitter Cool. You can get all that 
from the website. So intimateartscenter.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sherry. It's such a pleasure to get to chat with you. Appreciate it. Oh, it was lovely chatting with you too, Karen. Thank you so much. It was really fun. All right. Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there you can find my blog, you can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist, a massage therapist, all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.